Amen. Praise God. So we're in Psalm 119, as I mentioned, and uh, I, I, I don't think it, I could do it any justice to, to what I'm going to be sharing and, 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 and titling it or giving it a title. So we're in Psalm 119 this morning, and as you, you turn there, if you have your Bibles and, or if you have your app, if you would go there, that'd be great. I, just for your information and just to encourage you and to uh, allay any fears or worries you have, we will not be going through 176 verses in Psalm 119 this morning. Now, you might, you might think that I am, but, but we're not, okay? Um, if anything, uh, and when I look at the text, all of Psalm 119, and it's all about God's Word, I, I want to start, and as the foundation scripture, we're going to come back full circle and finish with this scripture as well, and I'll reference it, but if you have your Bible, and if you're able, Psalm 119 Let's read verse 18. And I encourage you to leave your Bible open. There'll be a lot of scriptures today, okay, that I'll be referencing. Psalm 119, verse 18. Listen to these words. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I, I'm sorry, but... As I was reading this, and I've been stuck in Psalm 119 for a few weeks, and I saw him there today of our sermon, but this scripture, when I, every time I read it, it's become my new, I don't know, prayer, my new desire, my new cry, my new, this is what I, I want. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Now listen, you take that verse alone, and if you take two words in that verse, two words, and you put one here, wonderful. Then you take the other word, law. Oh, no, 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 no. No way. No way. There's no way those things can go together, that we would find something wonderful in the law, God's law. I mean, after all, we're, we love to be self-ruled. We hate parameters. We, want restri- we don't want restrictions. We want to do whatever we want. Come on now. I'm my own boss. Someone's going to tell me how to live and how I should live it. Wonderful law, God's word being law and being wonderful that I could see wonderful things. That's an amazing and incredible and challenging thing that the psalmist is asking and declaring uh, from the Lord and wanting from the Lord. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Psalm 119 is a psalm that is all about the Word of God, nothing else. In fact, 174, for sure, 174 of the 176 verses mention and are about the Word of God. And the other two, eh, they're not really direct, but 170, all about the Word of God. It's a psalm of praise to the Word of God. There's a psalm that says, and God says, the psalmist writes, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. No, no, he hasn't exalted Bob Geruda. He hasn't exalted Dennis Champlain. He hasn't exalted whatever your name is. He hasn't exalted the women's ministry tonight. He hasn't exalted New Hope Chapel. He hasn't exalted other programs you have and systems you have that you think are going to solve the world's problems and settle everything and make everything perfect and bring world peace and harmony among all people. And you're 
God has exalted above all things His name and His word. I'm not making that up. Period. End of story. So quit trying to exalt anything else in your life. Exalt the name of Jesus and exalt His Word. You can't separate the two. Throughout the psalm, God's Word is designated by other terms or words, these these words. And in your translation, depending on how old or how new that translation is, but I'll just, I'll share some of these words that are synonymous with God's Word. Obviously, Word. You'll see that in the psalm. Saying or sayings testimonies, judgments, precepts, ordinances, commands, law, statutes, and even the word faithfulness is synonymous with God's word. God's word, listen, why is this important and why is this to highlight? Because here's the reason. God's word is an extension of God himself. It is. For example, let me give you an example, a very practical thing, and how, how we can treat God and the Bible and His Word, His, His revealed Word to us, but just words in general, how, how, how they're an extension of who we are, period, all right? Just, I'm telling you. Let me, let me give you an example. So, you get married, right? If you're married, you get married, and at first, oh man, you're, you're, the words are there, you're talking, you're saying the conversation, things are happening and things are going on. Even the sweetest, sweet nothings that are ridiculous, you even know what they are. Somehow they mean something and they move you and whatever. And you're just, right? But, but you're saying something. You're, you're communicating and there's words being exchanged. You get to know each other. And, and it's not just the presence, but it's the words too. Then over time, there's this, it can happen. It happens in our Christianity, in our relationship with God. This can happen if we're not careful. Suddenly, you know, we, we, we just love the experience, love the person so much that our communication goes downhill or it, it's, it's lessened or it's, we think we can read minds. We enter that trap sometimes. Or we send messages subliminally, you know, and read between the line kind of things. Or, well, you should know by my body. We, things, we can run into those traps. And we have to fight that. And we have to work at it, right? That's, that's part of relationships. Relationships are complicated. And it's not that easy with God either, by the way. you got to work at it. He helps you, but you got to work at it. you got to listen to Him. He hears you, but you got to listen to Him. you got to hear His words. Now, listen. So, we can get to this place where... Can you imagine? Can you imagine this? I'm going to use... I'll, I'll use Sharon, my wife and I, right? So let's, let's, we're sitting, we were married, we're married 21 years, right? And we're sitting on the couch. One night, no words. Next night, no words. Third night, two weeks, two months, no words. And after a while, Sharon's like, you never say anything. I'm like, well, you don't either. And then I go, well, I'm not saying nothing because, listen, I just love your presence so much. It's you that I love. Not your words. How would that go over? How would that go over? How would that go over? How do you think God feels? God's words and our words, it's an extension of God himself. I mean, even these people, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but I'll I'll, I'll stop. It's an extension of God himself. I'm interested in you and not your words, 
will not fly with God any more than it's going to fly with your spouse or your best friend or your family members. Chances are you won't be spending much time with that person anymore. Period. In their presence or with hearing their words, right? Open my eyes. The eyes of my heart, of course. But open my eyes to the wonderful things in your word, O God. And to see the wonderful means to know God's word. You've got to know God's word. And then you'll actually know him. And that's the thing. And if I want to share, what I want to share with you today is that there are these, there's this five-step thing. It, and if, if we, it's, I don't know if it's a cycle, but it's a progressive thing that builds on itself. And it's all intertwined. And, and it repeats. And it cycles over. And it's, it's all connected. But it's all about the word of God. And if we see the wonderful things in God's word, then You'll understand something, that to know God's word, first of all, is to know God. And again, because God's words are an extension of himself. To know God's word is to know God. God, Why? Because God's word, here's what God's word does, right? I mean, we know that God's word, what he spoke, creates It created everything we see. In fact, the universe was created. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the Bible records that God, by the way, was there all the way. In the beginning, God. He always was. He always will be. It's there. There's no like, well, let me make an argument for God's existence. Let me try. No, God was there. In the beginning, God was all there all along. And he creates. He speaks, right? In the beginning, God is there. And in chapter 1 and 2, he speaks. He puts out words. He used words. He said things to create all that we see with our eyes. And in fact, Colossians 3.16 says that he even created, Jesus even created all the things in the spiritual realm that we don't see. Now, Psalm 33, verses 6 to 9 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea. I love this poetry. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. Can you just picture that? Oh, it's so cool. He puts the deep into storehouses. Verse 8. Let all the earth fear or, or be in such reverent awe of the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood for him. You know what the picture is like? And It usually works at this point. We'll see how things change as we progress through life. But when I give a command, I speak, I I say something to my sons, usually they do it. Usually they do it, right? So because there's authority, there's, there's actions that take place. It has this power to create these actions in my sons. When I tell them to do something, I spoke and it is. Right? But that's what God did. He spoke to nothing and he created. And then it's not just the universe and everything we see or don't see, but more specifically and very personally, God created you. By his word, he created you. He said it. He spoke it. Your hands, in verse 73 of Psalm 119, your hands made me and formed me. And then it, it, that's that... that That's before what Psalm 139 says, how God fashioned us in our mother's womb. But your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. Can I say this, and it's not an injustice to the scripture, but can I, because of the parallelism and because of the way this poetry is written, scripture. God, I want to know your commands because you made me and formed me. It's another way to say it. 
You know what? Go to the manufacturer for the best parts, the best repairs. He's the one that made you. And anything you've got to go through in life, he knows your ins and outs. He knows what's going on. He knows how you're wired. He knows what's going on in your life right now. Go to him. He's the expert. You wouldn't take your broken down car. And if you have whatever, nobody probably has one. You have a Lamborghini. You're not going to take it to like, you know, I don't know, the 1980s, the Yugo manufacturer. You know, remember those cars? And have them work on your car. You're not going to take them to Hyundai. You're going to go to the Lamborghini specialist or Lamborghini dealership and they... Because they know that car. God knows you. My point is, is that you go to the one who made you and knows you best. And you want to know his commands. You want to know his, how many of you, when you bought a car, it wouldn't shock me if there's at least one hand, but have read the whole owner's manual to your car. I told you there's one and, you know, whatever. There's always an anomaly and, you know, whatever. No. The, who, who does that? Andrea, who does that? The manufacturer, I hate to use that expression, but your maker spoke his word, and his words mean something. And he tells you how you're going to live your life. And so he made us, he creates us by his word and by his hands, by his power, and everything around us, and we need to listen to his words. God's commands, another way, and, and his words are commands. They're not just creative, but they're commands. Not commands like, I'm telling you what to do, but commands as in they're laws, they're parameters, they're a guide for us, they, they instruct us, right? Another way to say this, this is God's laws, or I hate, don't use the word rules, but they're God's rules, right, for us to live our lives. You can listen, here's the truth, you can listen to his words or reject his words. That's it. That's it. And I'll give you the example. It all starts from the beginning, in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are there, and think about this. They're in God's presence, walking with Him. They're having conversations. They're having words. They're in the Garden, everything. And then God says to them, listen, we're having a great old time. Our life is great. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. We're talking. We're sharing life and enjoying everything I've made and each other. And He says, but listen, one thing. Don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of that tree. And then, what happens? Adam and Eve rejected that one command. <laughs> one command. I mean, he gave Adam that job, or the command, if you will, of taking care of naming animals, taking care of the earth. But that one command, that prohibition, and he, they broke that, they rejected that one command. You know what? You know why we struggle with this too, and Adam and Eve struggled? Because God's commands are an affront. They challenge our self-rule. I mean, it has been true since Adam and Eve, but more than ever today, and it's so obvious if you look, you have to look hard. Everyone wants to be their own ruler. Everybody wants to be their own lawmaker. They want autonomy. I'm autonomous. I can do my own thing. I determine what's right and wrong. And it's all about what I want, how I I determine that. And God says, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You, you violate all my commands. I'm the ultimate authority. I made you. My word is power. And you're telling me, God says, no. Adam and Eve proved it. You're, you chose to self-rule, and we're still paying the price. After sin, notice what happens after sin. After they, they reject this command, they break this command, this law of God. What happens to God? God, if I could use air quotes, he hides. Now, I have a point here. It's really important. Because Adam and Eve saw God. Now, 
It doesn't tell us how he looked. It doesn't tell us what it was like. It was, they didn't even think about it. It was just natural. Can I put it that way? They saw God with their own eyes. They were with him. They walked with him. He was there in the garden. I, I don't know to what extent what that looked like. But after they blow off his word, there is no longer this image of God they have for their eyes. And nothing has changed since. You know why? The Bible says that no one has seen God and lived. Not one person. No one has seen God since Adam and Eve and lived. Not one person. He is not seen anymore to the human eye. In fact, as I said, no one has seen God and lived. And one day we will. 1 John 3, 2 says that one day we will see him. We'll be like him and we'll know him as he really is. We'll see him. But we are so driven by image in our culture, everything around us. And listen, you can say, no, I'm not. I don't care. doesn't matter. We are. We are image-driven. We want to see visuals. We want, and it's so much more and more and more and more that we can't even know what words are unless there's an image. It's all backwards. I'm telling you, it's all backwards. And sin has done that. It doesn't mean images are wrong in and of themselves. Please don't misunderstand me. But we are so image-driven and we're so concerned about how it looks and what it projects. And as a result, we'll feel something and experience something because we saw, whether for real or in our imagination. And our drive to have images before us has left to a worship in the church today that is so perverted and has created a false god in our minds because of the images that are born there of a God who isn't even there. We are so so image-driven, but we don't know God by His image. We know God by His Word. Thank you. We don't know God by His image. We know God by His Word. Oh, but what about Jesus? He was the image of God, the exact representation. He was the Word made flesh. You're not. Yes, He lives in us, but He's not. There, 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 take that to heart. God's Word is authoritative and powerful. Look at ver, uh, Psalm 29, verse 5. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. In that one verse, he makes that statement. There's that Hebrew form in that poetry, the the parallelism. And he ups it. It makes it more intense. He breaks the cedars, but even more, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. And Lebanon was known for great cedar trees. And he just speaks, and he twists them and breaks them. That's how power. Now, did God actually do that? Well, he could. But the point is, is that God's voice is so powerful and that it does things, if I could put it that way and express it that way. The word of God goes in his command. It goes into the deepest part of people. It goes places that no one can go with their psychology or with their words or their manipulation or their politicizing or manipulate whatever it is. They can't get there because Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Now, the other day, Preston was working on a fort with a friend. And you know what? Listen, he... <laughs> I don't know what they're doing, man. They're building a tunnel to China. I don't know what they're doing, but they're digging, pulling out rocks, come home all dirt and everything else, right? But he was there without Cohen, and they were working one night. He came home. Oh, I cut my hand, my thumb. He had a bandit, and I'm like, what? What were you doing? I was sawing. What? Were there any adults there? No. What? What are you doing with the saw? 
It was a handsaw, but he cut right on that knuckle. You know, the best place where, you know, you're always moving it. Oh, you think that's sharp. By contrast, that, that was nothing, Preston, because the word of God is a double-edged sword. You know what it's like? It's that double-edged sword. It's so sharp and fine. It's like if you just drop this paper right on there, it would just slice it just, just from gravity. That's how sharp, and in a spiritual sense, it says it's sharper than any double-edged sword, it, any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now we're getting somewhere. Man, your image can hide every thought and motivation. Your image can do that. Listen, your words reveal everything about you. Because you will get caught by your words if you're a manipulator. You will get caught by your words. How much, I mean, we see it in our world now. Who's to be believed anymore? Where, where is all this? And I'm getting ahead of myself with the, with the truth aspect, but it's hard to find truth anymore, right? God's word is not just goes into the deepest part of people, but it's eternal. Verse 89 says, God's word is forever settled in heaven. It is, can I put it this way? God's word is eternally what it is. God's word reveals his character. It reveals that he is righteous, he's faithful and unchanging, among other things. And those three things are absolutely found in Psalm 119 as just descriptors of what God's word is, which, which tells us as an extension that that's who God is. God's word is truth. Psalm, in verse 160 in Psalm 119, the psalmist says, All your words are true. Another translation says, The sum of your law is truth. The sum of all your words is truth. All your righteous laws are eternal. And in verse 96, there is no limit to its perfection. Now, hold on a second. This language is incredible. I thought perfection was it. Like, if it's perfect, but there's no limit to his perfection, it touches everything, and it comes out of him in every aspect, in all his character, in all his actions. It's perfect. There's no limit to its perfect, his perfection, the Word of God. You know, even Jesus asked the Father, in John 17, for his disciples and future ones, he prayed this. He prayed that God would sanctify them in truth because he said, your word is truth. Your word is truth. Your word is everything that our presidential candidates say. Your word is everything that our politicians say. Your word is everything that you fill in the blank. But the truth is so far it, you, it's hard to find. And in Isaiah 59, it even says that true truth has been trampled on in our streets. And it's a prophetic picture. And it's a description of what was happening with Israel in their time of captivity. And you know what? That's what's happening in our world now. It's always been there, but more than ever. But God's word is truth and it stands eternal. It's powerful and it commands and it's there for a reason for our protection to be obeyed and it's authoritative and it penetrates into the deepest part of us and reveals what's going on in our thoughts and attitudes and our motives and ambitions. So to know God's word is to know God. Now, these last four are quick. I spent time on that as a foundation. But if you know God's word, you will also then, secondly, love God's word. You will love God's word if you know it. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. When's the last time you obsessed on God's word for 24 hours straight? When's the last time you even obsessed on God's word for one hour straight and nothing else? Can I just give you a challenge with a guarantee? 
and I'm going to do it myself too more frequently. I dare you with, and I guarantee, no music, no nothing. You and God and the Bible, God's word, one hour, and you will walk away changed. You know how? You'll either be so convicted and challenged or you'll be so encouraged, you'll be on fire. I'm telling you right now. You will not move away from one hour of Bible reading, not thinking about something that God's word pointed out in your life that needs to either be changed or that you're challenged by it, or that you are going to grow and just, just be launched in, further in your journey. You, it has power. Do it. Obsess with it. I love your law. I meditate. I think about it all day long. There's this, when there's a love for God's word, there's a pursuit of that word. It has high priority in your life, and you will do anything to hear it. Oh, no, no, no. See, see, I, I, the spirit of God is what it's all about, man. Listen, I, I, I'm a, Pentecostals, right? But we, we, we've had these experiences, and I've experienced these things too, and we've seen, and, and again, not to be a critic, but just to be honest here, you know, we had this approach just like with our spouse. If we don't talk, we just, I, it's you I love and not your words. It's like we want the experience. I want to feel God, you know, and I feel the stuff, and I feel warm, and there's something happening, and I know, and I'm crying, and I got emotions, and it's all real. It's all legit. But, but I, God, I, I just, God, I just, want, I just want to feel you. I don't want to hear you. Man, we need the Word of God. You cannot worship in spirit and truth, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, without the truth being part of the Word of God, being there to guide your worship and to guide your life. Your promises in verse 140 have been thoroughly tested, the psalmist says, and your servant loves them. I love your promises, God, because they've been proven. And in verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. They're they're right. It means that he rightly puts them out and he rightly executes everything associated with them and never fails in it. They're righteous. They're right through and through. They're perfect. God's law is always requires what is pure, loving, and wise, not the opposite. Always. To know God's word is to love God's word. Thirdly, if you love God's word, then you're going to live according to his word. Can I just put it this way? If you love his word, you're going to obey it. When you love his word, you're going to obey. Look at verse 167. I obey your statutes. Why? For I love them greatly. Oh, no, man. Rules and God's laws. And I can't do this. I can do this. And I, uh, no, 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 no. When you realize why God has them for your protection, for your good. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. Erwin McManus, he wrote, I just happened to be reading a book of his from 20-some years ago. He said, the moment you know what God wants of you is the moment to do it. I'm going to read it again. The moment you know what God wants of you is the moment to do it. Oh, I have failed on this point. Thousands and thousands of times. I'm not happy about that. It's the truth. What about you? When you know you're supposed to go and ask someone for forgiveness or whatever, and, well, I know, I know. You, and, and, and you're going through our time, and, you, and the, that word comes out. And all of a sudden, you're like, well, let me pray about it. 
let me see if, you know, I'm ready to do it, you know, was my psyche there? Are my emotions in check? And I, I would contend that it's not about us wanting to do God's word the moment, we, but when we do that, we're actually deliberating with God and trying to decide if we actually want to do it. No, the moment you know what God wants of you, right here, is the moment you do it. Don't wait. Do it. When you love his word, you obey it. Jesus said in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father, listen to this part, and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. You will have this incredible relationship with God, the triune God, a powerful relationship. When you love God's word, you obey it and then he loves you and the whole thing connects and it's just this incredible relationship all centered on the word of God. Because you love it. To live out God's word, to, I mean, to love God's word is to live according to his word. And fourthly, to live out God's word, to obey his word, is to be blessed by his word. In other words, God's word provides what is good. His word becomes a delight to you. It's the way of happiness. The first two verses of this Psalm 119 say that. And Psalm 1 is all about that as well. God's word, you're blessed because it becomes a treasure to your soul. Verse 72, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Oh, man. The, the imagery, uh, okay, I, I got to move on. The, the blessing of, of, of being, the, the, the blessing of loving and living at God's word is that it leads to God's presence. In verse 57, it says, you are my portion, Lord. What does it mean, you are my portion? You're my possession. I have all of you, God. You're mine. Why? Because I, I have promised to obey your words. It's a source of protection. God's word, the blessing is, is that it protects you from sin. It protects you from the pitfalls in life, all the traps that the enemy's trying to set, things you don't see, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, the, the, the antenna goes... Lights up, the radar goes off and says, watch out for that. Don't go there. That's destructive. Stop. The word of God will do that to you. It'll protect you from proud people. Those people who are trying to bring you down for your faith, who are ridiculing you because you love God's word and you're living it out. It will protect you from that so you don't succumb from their pressures. There are several scriptures in 119 exactly about that. So read Psalm 119, you'll find those. It becomes, the blessing is that the word of God becomes your guide, your counsel, and your wisdom. Verse 24 says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. And in verse 99, I have more understanding or insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. You don't need a PhD in theology to know God. You just have to know the word. And when you know the word, you love God. And then you live it out. And then you're blessed. And it's an incredible thing. It's for the entire journey until you get to home with Jesus. How can a young person stay pure? Verse 9, by obeying your word. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And hiding it in your heart is not just about memorizing 6,000 verses and then rattling them off. That helps. But hiding them in your heart means you obey, you do. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. We sang that song. In this dark journey, on this world, it's for your feet, but it also shows what's around you. Do you ever drive a car without headlights at night? Don't do it. 
they're there for a reason. And they, and they go off to the side a little because if you just had a lamp, it would be so close. But you have the, the headlights on and the high beams. You see further, you can see further ahead, but also on the side. You can see what's on the side of the road, the deer or whatever else. Now, that doesn't mean you won't get hit by a deer. Unfortunately, some people have done that. But you can see what's there. And the Word of God helps us to do that. It guides us. And so we are blessed by God's Word. And lastly, but when we are blessed by God's Word... We have to share God's word. And the whole thing repeats itself all over again. What is it that we share? The truth of the good news of Jesus, the word made flesh. God's very word spoken to Jesus, but the prophets and, and all the apostles. We have the words and we share the good news that there is salvation, that there is revival for our soul that comes by his word because faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. And then in Romans chapter 10, people hear when they have a messenger that sends the word and then they're saved and they call on the name of the Lord. Verse 126 is a very sobering scripture as we get to the end here. He says, it is time for you to act, Lord. Your law is being broken or made void, the translation says. It's time for you to act, God. Nobody's doing your law. Nobody cares about it. There's a disregard for it. But God, please act because there's so much blessing in it. There's life in it. Please do something. And God wants to do it through us. Now, word spreads fast today, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. The news travels very, very quickly, whether it's true or false. Part of my aversion to social media, but that's a whole other discussion. It's a double-edged sword. Can I ask you a question? Really important one. What and whose words are you spreading What words and whose words are you spreading? See, it's all about words. And for Christians, it's about God's word that's found in the Bible. What are you spreading? Oh, I'm into conspiracy theories, political ones. Ooh, oh boy. But you know what? Spend an hour in the word, not six hours researching that. I'm being serious. I'm not telling you to be ignorant. I'm just telling you, Make this the, the focal point. We get so wrapped up and caught up. Word travels quickly. And those words take root in our heart and they form our attitudes and perspectives, including our Christianity and our spirituality. Oh, may we be like the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, 8, Paul said this, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. The word with all this affliction, with all the pressures in their society, you received the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. How does it sound forth? Right here, man. It's, it's being proclaimed. It sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything. The word was out and it spread about their faith in the gospel, in the word of God. When you're blessed by God's word, you have to share it because it's good. All right, before you go, I'm going to 
sing a song in Ukrainian. No, really. Probably get emotional, but because as I sing it, I hear my dad's voice in the background who used to lead our, our singing of songs in our, in our congregation. And we used to sing this song very often at the, either a close of service or right before the sermon. You know, when we get to know God's Word, we love God's Word. And when we love God's Word, we live by God's Word. And when we live by God's Word, we are blessed. And when we're blessed, we share just how wonderful it is. It's such a blessing. So here's the song. Twoje slovo, Hospody, blahoslovlaje nas. First line. Your word, O Lord, it blesses us. I slavu tobi daje, O Boh, nasz car i Boh. Kind of messed up that second phrase, but it says, And it gives you glory, O our Lord and our King. Slava chai bude tobi, slava hospodi. Let all glory be to you, God. Glory be to you, Lord. Tvoje slovo hospodi, blahoslovlaje nas. Your word, O Lord, it blesses us. May that be our pursuit, that we would love the Word as we love God, because they're inseparable. Amen? Lord, as we go today, may your Word take root in our hearts. May our hunger, our thirst, our desire, and our passion for it grow. God, I pray that we would know it, learn it, live it, love it, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, to understand the blessings that come and help us to share the powerful Word. That is the Bible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.